0: Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today, I talk with Brian Calella, who is a dear friend and the principal of Financial Sense and a youth sports coach. Brian talks about how he navigated his career using his skills in working with numbers, from big companies to contract jobs, working as a CFO and starting his own side hustle. He has done it all. Brian shares valuable insight from his experience for anyone interested in the different lens you get working in smaller company versus working for a larger one. He also gives his recipe for his successful coaching practices and approach. And I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to Brian for all of his support of TFA. Uh, from the very beginning, Brian has been someone that has helped me and been in my corner and uh, really been such a great friend. So enjoy this episode. so much for doing this you're You're the bestest so uh first before we do talk about anything uh i have to publicly acknowledge and thank you for all of your help and support because you've been such a great well friend first of all but just in terms of me starting this business and having no clue what i was doing you were like such a great resource and never made me feel like an idiot when i was (laughs) asking you like very (laughs) basic questions about how to get this thing going? So I feel like um, in lots of different ways you've been so supportive and helping oh, us nice. get gigs with the football team and just you know all of your sort of cheerleading and also just um, you know really I feel like every step of the way you've been such a helpful friend. no, no problem at all. It's been so fun. thank you, thank yeah. you so much. And um and so and also you were very open to you know wherever the conversation goes, right? I asked you like, do you want you know so?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm gonna start with what would you risk for love. <laughs> can you send me the script again yeah exactly no I'm totally checking. no let's start with what you do now like I think it, it's always interesting to hear um kind of current spots and in, in terms of you know what you're doing right now I think you've had an, an interesting path and there's lots of things I want to talk to you about other than just your profession uh because I think you're a coach and you were an athlete in college I mean I think there's lots of stuff that we can cover but Let's start first with, like, what do you do now mm-hmm. um, and a typical day?
1: Sure. So right now I do, I call it CFO consulting okay. or ah. we'll call it accounting for hire. I work with small businesses. Uh, I work for myself. Yeah. pretty much represent um, sort of the accounting and finance arm for small companies. So they don't need a full-time accounting resource, but they need someone with some specialized accounting and finance talents mm-hmm. that they can call kind of at their needs
0: right um, yours where' their beck and call guy kind of yeah
1: <laughs> yeah um it works well because it's um a flexible type work environment yeah. sometimes it's sometimes they need help in chunks sometimes it's more of a level working you know day-to-day type thing but the range of activities is wide anywhere from reconciling a bank statement to Talking to banks and auditors and, and understanding capital needs and stuff like that.
0: Okay, so how many clients do you have right now?
1: <laughs> Depends on the day. <laughs> and I think on any given day, I can talk to six different companies.
0: Yeah, one of the things I don't, I, I mean, I, I guess I can ask you right now. I think you're someone, because we've talked a lot having our own businesses just about client growth and being able to manage that growth, and how do you do that? For you as a party of one, I've cheated now and I have lots of help through like <laughs> 1099s and, and other yeah. folks that, and Hannah, who's full time. But I think the question I have for you is how have you scaled and taken on more clients and still have a life? Like, I think that maybe you have some efficiencies that you've created, or yeah. you seem like someone who maximizes your time so i'm curious about as this has evolved how do you do that how do you manage that so you still because you're really involved in your kid's life you do a lot of outside of work too right uh there's a couple
1: there's a couple things i think number one is there's sort of been a model that's developed as i've taken on clients Mm -hmm. there's a period of time where once you start working with a lot of clients at least what i do a lot of them have a i'd call disarray i mean most of them have a pretty good idea of what's going on with their money per se, but normally I'm coming in because they need help, right? So, there's a period of time that it takes to get my clients up to speed, whether it's cleaning up their accounting books, or um, helping them with banks, or auditors, or taxes, or whatever it might be. So that period of time is condensed with a lot of work in the beginning like front-loaded yeah, yeah very front-loaded and then you start to develop what you refer to as some efficiencies and mm-hmm. you develop some common reports some common you know whether it's cash flow reports or financial reports or monthly financial summaries that are right and you develop these efficiencies and then it becomes a little less of the condensed type of work environment and more of You develop a routine, really.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: So now you don't have any less work. You just have sort of figured out how to manage it. Mm -hmm. And then that creates room for another client. And then you kind of do the same thing, right? So everything keeps getting compacted and a little bandwidth opens up. And then it gets compacted some more and a little bandwidth opens up.
0: Do you have your CPA? Yeah. You do. Mm -hmm. And was your degree in accounting?
1: My undergrad was in finance. Oh. I only took a handful of accounting classes in undergrad, and then when I got my MBA, I never wanted to become a public accountant, but I knew if I wanted to grow within my profession that I needed to have a few three-letter acronyms after my work, CPA being one of them, probably MBA being one of them too. So um, I took a bunch of um, accounting classes in my MBA program, and I took just enough to be able to sit for the CPA exam. And then I took the CPA exam right after. Is it. that
0: unusual? Like, do Yeah. Th- so that's interesting. That's an, un- I mean, I obviously worked in accounting for, for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So most of the people that came through had de- degrees in accounting, and they get that fifth year, right? Where they, right. that's when they sit. It's, and they, it's, it's a little different now yeah. than when
1: I took it because I was probably. But I over like that. I like ago. that yeah. way. But I never took an audit. Class or a tax class until my MBA, and then I took a really good review program to sit for the CPA, and then I just rolled the dice.
0: Were you someone that was a good student in high school? Like, did have has like academics and school work come easy to you? I don't know
1: if I would say easy, but I'm a fairly structured person, so (laughs) probably that's probably an understatement. (laughs) So I've always been able to just compartmentalize things like academics. So I wouldn't say it came easy. I just, I think I was able to figure out how to do things that would allow me to achieve certain academic goals, I guess you could say, and getting my CPA kind of fits in that mode.
0: And were you self-motivated or was, did you get a lot of direction from the parental units? I'm always interested uh, in that. Probably a little like, of both. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My parents definitely were not all in, you know, my business with, with school, nor my sisters. I mean, they were very, Hands off! I think they would just step in if they saw something going the wrong way.
0: And were you like, were you good at math in high school? Like, did you know going into college, mm-hmm. business finance was your like you you had a sense that that's what you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, my dad was an accountant for thirty years, uh-huh. so I was always around it. And numbers have been something that just for whatever reason been something I've been good at. Yeah. So it seemed like a common fit. So finance accounting is where I ended up.
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit about to your path to get to own your own business. So tell me a little bit about your first job out of college and then how that uh, moved to where you decided to go out on your own.
1: When, uh, when I graduated from Ithaca, I knew I wanted to get out of upstate New York. I had seen enough snow for my life. (laughs) So, um, uh, my girlfriend at the time who ended up, um, being my wife, Julie, we decided we wanted to Moved down this way. So we both got jobs down here. I worked for, gosh, a company called Nortel, which mm-hmm. was a telecom yep. company. I mostly took the job just because it got me to this area.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so I worked for them, I worked for Citibank, then I worked for MCI, if you mm-hmm. go all the way back yeah, to yeah. long distance. Mm-hmm. So I worked for big <laughs> companies system, um, for like probably over five or six years. And then um, I, I just decided I didn't want to work for some, for large companies, it just it wasn't for me. So, I got a job with a small software developer, and that was as a controller, and I worked for them for about three or four years. Then I got my first job as a CFO with a a small government contractor, and I worked with them. We got bought and merged and did a bunch of things, but I worked there for about eight or nine years.
0: That's a lot of movement.
1: Yeah, it it was at the time.
0: So, that's interesting. Would you say then, that oh, one of the questions I had for you was just about the risk of going out on your own. It seems though, given you, you moved a fair amount, that yeah. maybe you're open to that, to like whatever the experience yeah. can bring you. I
1: think back then, and this kind of talks to the structured part, like I had a plan. Like I knew what my plan was. Uh-huh. I wanted to go up the accounting corporate ladder at that time. So I knew I wanted to go, or the finance ladder, whatever it was. But I wanted to go from, we'll call it a, a finance staff accountant to a manager okay. to a controller to a CFO and and I kind of had these time lines in my head to reach those goals so I really wasn't interested in hopping jobs like that I've never really been someone to go from job to job I just knew that these are my goals and this is these were the companies like that would allow me stones. to help achieve the goal uh-huh. so when I got to that CFO goal I did it for about eight years and right towards the end of it I had decided, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this particular type of work that much longer. Mm -hmm. That's when I got into working for myself.
0: And then, how, how much, what of a risk was it for you to to take that leap? Were you nervous to do that, knowing that you're prepared, kind of guy? I suspect (laughs) that it wasn't like a huge abyss that you were jumping into. That, like, yeah, planned appropriately. Well,
1: I got a little lucky because I had a. A friend who had a construction company and he was looking for uh-huh. some part-time cfo help and my job as a, a w2 cfo uh-huh. with the government contractor was somewhat static at the time so i basically approached him and said hey do you mind if i kind of moonlight as doing this ah, on the side and yeah. you know work out an arrangement where it worked for both of us and they were super okay with that the
0: side hustle right
1: and that's the how hustle. it kind of started was it was a it wasn't as big a risk because i still had my other job to fall back on yeah. then once i got comfortable doing that and sort of figuring out that model that we talked mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. then I, I got to the edge of the diving board then i just jumped <laughs> in at that point because i knew yeah. i knew i could do it at that point. you
0: know one of the things I, f- I feel like is um good for us to talk about given that we're we're both in this space now me obviously more recently but i think people told me You know, the work's there. Like, the work is out there. Right. And so it's the relationship aspect and and a little bit of the pounding the pavement and figuring out where those connections are. But in that small to medium business, if you're someone that's tenured and you have a lot of experience, like, they really can use your help. Yeah. And they really need people that have had good, solid experience that can help them solve their business problems that they necessarily can't afford. Yeah. You know, so there's... There's such a market, I think, mm-hmm. for people like us that have had a career, and then that giving back to other organizations. Like it's, it's. I was, I've been surprised that it's been easier than I thought to get work.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a, a at least in what yeah. I do, a, a void for, and a need for the skill sets that I bring, and yeah. for the companies that I work with. You know, you have to find it, um, and yeah. and and you have to, while you're doing business development you actually have to do the work so it's hard to yeah. balance it two. sometimes yeah. you know it becomes less risky I, I think risk is a function of also like the confidence you have in what you're doing mm-hmm. so the more confident you have the less risky you feel like what you're doing is right um, yeah. and there's a balance there so at first you're like this is so new to me therefore it's risky then you move yeah. you keep going and yeah. you're saying now you're in you flipped it now mm-hmm. it's I know exactly what I'm doing and there's no risk for me here.
0: Well, and it seems like, I don't know, this would be an interesting question for you. I was just having dinner with a friend last night and we were talking about she was someone who who had always done very well. Like she was I think also very goal oriented, had a goal, met the goal, got the next job, got the promotion. She was it was pretty like straightforward. And then she was really On deck to be promoted to the job that she wanted, maybe Mm -hmm. akin to your CFO role. Right. And things went terribly wrong. And it was the first time in almost like a 20-year career that she had to like pivot and really figure something out. Yeah. I'm curious for you, like given you've had these goals and it's been this path that you were very structured about, has that always been the case? Were you easily able to meet the goals that you set? Was there ever anything that got in your way or that you had to like pivot or rebound from.
1: Well, I've definitely had a few clients that have had challenges, right? I mean, every client, yeah. every company faces challenges at some point, whether right. it's, you know, in my case, financial challenges, challenges yeah. or whatever they are. So um, I've been down that road, and you you kind of have to, you get a feel for, like I'm driving the financial car, right? So I see exactly what's out yeah. of the windshield. So yeah. when you see it. You have time to react and adjust and maybe, you know, you don't want to run away from the situation, but maybe you think about what's in your backlog, right? And Mm -hmm. figure out how am I going to replace this if that situation goes bad.
0: people's money. I mean, or not just people, organizations and their money.
1: It's like so
0: stressful. And the
1: employees. I mean, you're, you know, the employees are not necessarily my... um, Right. Well, they are my problem in that I, I want... The company to do well, but you know, the company has to continue to pay people and people have families to feed and and all that stuff.
0: All right, so let me ask this way you started to talk about it, but I just want to, for the people that are listening that maybe aren't as familiar with your type of role, uh, as a C, let's just call it a CFO for now, uh, in terms of managing the books. So there's obviously like the money coming in and the money going out, very simply, like, and, and understanding that and realizing all that is associated with that uh what about on the investment side the benefit side of like 401ks and the is that peripheral is that part of what you do or you know you, tell me a little bit about like yeah, the breadth maybe teresa's new book soft skills i learned the hard way is out and available on amazon She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get that promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we are 15 countries strong. Now back to the show.
1: It's pretty wide-ranging, and one of the things I got out of working for small companies, mm-hmm. and this is why I wanted to eventually work for small companies before I went out on, on my own, is I wanted to see the whole picture. When you work yeah. for a big company, yeah, you have such oftentimes mm-hmm. you have such a defined role in such a narrow yeah. space, and that works for some people, but it just didn't work for me. So I wanted to understand, how does the whole operation work, and spending that you know, 10 plus years working for two smaller size companies gave me a lot of that yeah. um, visibility. And so for the, well, you know, handful of clients that I work with now that it ranges anywhere from finance, accounting, HR, benefits, 401k, taxes, uh, contracts, legal, leasing, asset management, banking. Damn, Brian. <laughs> Um, anything yeah but the neat thing is is you don't have to be an expert in any of that you just have to be able to have the conversations with the the experts that do that for these companies Mm -hmm. um i mean i'm not a a tax expert by any stretch Mm -hmm. but i understand enough about taxes to be able to talk to outside accountants and and help them with that i'm not a, a a benefits expert by any stretch but i understand enough about benefits to put together a A plan and work with insurance and Mm -hmm. figure out how to you know calculate premiums and stuff like that so I like that probably more than anything because every day is different
0: yeah I was just gonna ask every hour is different I think we started with that like a little bit of like kind of day in the life so because you have so many clients are you are you jumping between clients throughout the day are you always at a client site are you sometimes working from home Um, and then you just obviously explained all the different activities you may be involved in. So it sounds like certainly no day is the same. No, it's all the above. So literally
1: within an hour, I could talk to five different people from five different companies. And oftentimes I'm like toggling between my email thinking, okay, I need to send this email from this address, not from this one to this person. (laughs) And uh, and, and, and I don't always get it right, but it definitely keeps you on your toes. Yeah.
0: And you're like, at this point, I mean, your business is thriving and it seems like it's this great intersection of your experience and then having that variety. So it's like, yeah. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, being an athlete in college and how that came to be. So were you an athlete in high school and what did you play?
1: Well, you calling me an athlete is a fairly big stretch. No, you are. uh, I just love sports growing Mm up. I, I played everything that I could and I wasn't particularly great at any of the sports, but I I loved yeah. all of them, but my passion in growing up was always baseball. Um, and then I picked up golf when I decided I wasn't a very good baseball player. <laughs> so, uh, so while I still, you know, recreationally played all those sports, I yeah. guess golf at the time became maybe my more serious sport, I guess mm-hmm. you could say.
0: And then what was the process like to to try and play in college? Was that very... Um,
1: you know, this was... 20 a lot of years ago. 20 a lot of years, we'll call it. 20
0: a lot.
1: (laughs) Um, So it was nowhere near like it is now, right? It was literally show up on campus my freshman year and here's the tryouts for golf. And just go, yeah. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Did Um, you play throughout all all four years? On and and off. And how was that just managing either for people that are listening like parents of kids or, you know, in terms of managing that against like the other responsibilities, whether you're whether we've got athletes listening to this that might play in school or, you know, was yeah. that...
1: Well, back, again, back then it was, it was just a different, as... it was a different generation, a different college athletics were nowhere. it was just different, right? Yeah. So it was pretty easy to, to balance. Yeah. You know, these days, if you went to a Division three school to play golf like I did, it, you'd have a completely different balance, routine, expectation, You know, everything about it is different now, but back then it was, it was just a lot of fun.
0: And you have, so this is one of the things I want to chat with you about, uh, maybe we'll start a little bit like with coaching because I think you're going to, you know, I know you're going to get uncomfortable, but I, but like (laughs) you're a beloved coach and I feel like you have such a great reputation and I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people, you know, talk positively about their experience of their kids working with you and being on your teams. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective, if you can, like, what is that recipe? (laughs) Uh, Or maybe for you, it's just how you've approached it, you know, in terms of I know you probably won't comment on what I just said in terms of people's experience with you, but maybe just talk a little bit more about like how you approach it. What do you think are some of the important tenets of good coaching? I mean, your kids are both phenomenal athletes. So I'm going to talk to you about that too, in terms of how obviously you're supporting that at home too. So I just am curious about your thoughts around that and how you supported that.
1: Well, we've always, uh, my wife, Julie and I've always talked about this and I've always tried to apply this to coaching too, like, there's multiple ways to teach, you know, young kids about life, right? Mm -hmm. And sports is sort of the avenue we chose to teach life lessons to to not only our kids, but other kids too. Um, Because sports teaches you, you know, how to compete, how to be aggressive, how to be humble, how to accept losing, how to accept winning. I mean, you know, it runs the gamut of life, emotions and ways to you know learn so sports is a great way of doing that Mm -hmm. and through coaching it's sort of my way of helping kids including our own you know learn about life it's because sports is a fleeting part of life for most kids you know know, you have this very small select group that are going to play sports as their profession and then you have everyone else Right. right so we appeal to everyone else which is you know let's make this fun but mm-hmm. let's also uh, let's hold kids accountable but let's also teach life lessons and um let's use it as a way to mentor kids sport the, the actual playing of sports is fun uh, which it yeah. should be yeah. but you we've always tried to use that with our own kids and other kids and say yeah that's part of it but there's a whole other part of the equation which is how do we teach all these other things
0: How has it been like with your oldest in terms of the process? Because I think, you know, parents would love to, as you're going through it and you've kind of are hopefully on the other side, at least with your oldest, but the process of, you know, he's a great athlete and looking at schools and trying to figure out that next step, like how much of that, given your own path and your feeling about sports and his path versus your path or what you want for him just talk a little bit about how that's been and like, and that, and that recruiting process. And how involved are you as as a yeah. parent and, and all that?
1: I think a lot of it starts with, uh, not a lot, of but I think all of it starts with what's your child's goal, mm-hmm. right? Is mm-hmm. does your child want to be done with sports in high school, which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, then it's a little different process when you're, you know, when you're looking at the next step. If your athlete wants to be a student athlete in college, then realistically, where does your kid Fit in is he a d1 or a d2 Mm -hmm. three type player um and that's hard to kind of assess sometimes um but once you kind of figure that out then it's a process of part of it is on the parent but part of it is on the the kid too uh, as far as how motivated are they to achieve the goals you know i think we've personally been fortunate that both our kids are fairly motivated so we've just we kind of just nudge and Mm kind of push them in the hopefully the right directions it's a um yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the recruiting process, sure. but it's it's a it can be really hard and um take it takes a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the part of like the student athlete wanting it is an important component of of at least being a driver. If you want it for your kid and they don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which was you know, for us like with with our oldest, you know, I, I was like I really was like come on don't you want anything like and he was what you just like he at least at this point was like i'm i'm done like i he'd been playing since he was three he was kind of like i'm knew that about himself and so i had to be like okay you know like i pushed for a bit and then it was like no when kids
1: are younger you have to push because they don't know any better i mean a very very few of them are able to under even understand and process what that means right so it's our job to as as parents and coaches to to push, but not shove, just push <laughs> and yeah. push and keep helping them make decisions. And then I think once kids, you know, certainly become in high school students, but maybe yeah. even when they become teenagers, then then the onus becomes more on them. And you can see as a parent or a coach, you know, fairly easily which kids want it because they Mm -hmm. they take on a lot of the things themselves they go work out on their own they come to you and ask will you you know throw bp to me or will you throw the balls out of the lacrosse you know stuff like that yeah so it's uh it starts maybe 90 percent parents 10 percent kids and then it always shifts 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 and it becomes a lot
0: that's so interesting that was actually because you said you 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 said you know your kids are pretty pretty motivated and so i i'm just gonna ask you like what do you think the secret sauces to that. You know, how did you create an environment where both your kids are fairly self-motivated and driven? And then I think maybe you're describing it, but where it's like you had in the beginning you're you're potentially more involved in that direction. Yeah. Um, to kind of get the wheels moving and then sort of yeah, I, I guess the question I'll ask is about expectation. How high were, you know, for you and Julie, like, did you have very high expectations? Was it clear what the expectations were? Or, you know, how did you sort of cultivate that?
1: Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I, um, I always, I don't like to use the word expectations a lot because yeah. expectations are oftentimes what I'd call, and I talk about this in coaching a lot, I always talk about expectations as being other people's opinions on what we should achieve, Right. And so mm-hmm. our own expectations would, i call goals, not expectations. So we would always decide, you know, we wouldn't decide. We'd help the kids decide what are your goals? Um, yeah. Like, what do you want to get out of this? And we'll help you get out of it, whatever you want help with. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, Julie and I are similar in that we're competitive people and not, but we don't compete because we want. Yeah. Win, winning is just a, a byproduct of, yeah. you know, what a scoreboard says or whatever, whatever it is you're doing, yeah. I mean, not necessarily sports, but it could be anything, grades or whatever it is, but it's, you know, how hard do you want to compete to, to get to the goal? Yeah. And, and
0: I think being aligned, like the fact that you two were aligned in the way that like you view the world is probably a part of it too.
1: Yeah. And I think we've both liked being around sports. And yeah. uh, it's just yeah. uh, everyone has a passion, I yeah. think, and that's our yeah. passion. We whether yeah. we were doing it or watching it or yeah. whatever, we just it's something we like.
0: Is there someone for you um and this can be I guess in sports or in business, but I'm interested like for you along your way. Who would you say like whether it's a mentor or a, like a supervisor at some point or is you know is there someone or someone's that have made like a big impact on you that like Helped shaped where you were going or your path.
1: From a professional level, it's it's funny you ask that because I had lunch last Friday with with an old manager, mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, is one of the at one of the small companies I worked with for five or six years. His name's Tom, and Tom was just a great mentor. And he, uh, we were chatting, and we try to, you know, get together once a year mm-hmm. or whatever. I said you know tom it's funny because i find myself using so many of the phrases you used to say you know he would he would say like he, things like it's not that complicated or why are we making this complicated or you know just that as an example and that's when you know you had someone that you know really helped you become like you've DIY. embodied some yeah, of like his I've yeah like really i've taken on a lot of, and and i haven't worked for tom in over 20 years I mean, maybe like 15 years but you don't always know who that person is till you've. you've I know gone, what. What do you think made him so good? Uh, I don't know. I think he kept things very simple, mm-hmm. and I think that's mm. we get lost a lot of times in the weeds with things mm. that we do professionally or socially or whatever it is, right? And sometimes you just have to peel it all back and say, "What are What are we really trying to accomplish here?" And he was really good at that. Yeah. Uh. So he was definitely someone professionally who, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but was super impactful.
0: It's interesting. I just, a friend of mine posted something on LinkedIn. It was very nice. It was a, someone that used to work um, for me a long time ago. And we are now friends, you know, it, it's evolved. And um, and she posted a very nice thing about me as a leader and and, and then sort of be- posed the question of like, your turn, you know, pay it forward. And I was... I was thinking about it and i think for me there was someone that i worked with that really was never my formal supervisor at the time like i was part of an i was working on an acquisition and we were acquiring a sizable organization and they were very complicated and there was a piece of the business that they did that was questionable Mm -hmm. (laughs) and had a lot of risk associated with it and so this woman, who I knew, like I had worked with, but not not very well, was in part assigning roles within this acquisition and gave me this really like hairy, ugly thing to handle. Right, and I was like, "You're insane! Like I'm not capable of doing this. Like I don't, I don't know how to solve this problem. I certainly don't know have the expertise." And she was like, "You got it, no problem," and just had this faith and this belief that I could figure it out. And I think what I think about other people in my life, like I think those are the, at least for my personality how I operate, those are people that have propelled me forward, that thought for me mm-hmm. kind of without agenda. Right. That's a big part for me too. Like if I think you're, there's an agenda that right. I'm like, then I don't, and I see through it, then I don't, it doesn't work. Sure. yeah. <laughs> so it was like a true, like you got it, no problem. And had a faith. I think that if I was really in over my head, you know, I would have come to her and, and it was, it was like life-changing in that. I think it just gave me confidence to, to be like, yeah, I got it. And I can do it. And it was a pretty visible thing.
1: Yeah. Good mentors are hard to find.
0: I know (laughs) they really are. We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. Let's talk a little bit too about, because I think you know I'm super passionate about the soft skills stuff. And for you, I think both maybe within... The organizations that you were in, I don't know if it's the same versus what you're doing now, but obviously in the prior organizations where you had teams and other people reporting to you, what do you think are one or two critical soft skills for the kind of work that you do that are necessary to be successful?
1: I think there's two I think you'd probably talk about. One, you have to be able to connect with people And I'm not sure if that's a soft skill or just a life skill, but like you can have multiple conversations with people, but you really know like by looking in their eyes and this is, this applies to coaching too. I mean, Mm -hmm. coaching professionally, whatever it is, like you could talk all you want, but you have to find out like, what are the words that you're going to say to get your message across to someone? So I could be trying to explain, you know, some random piece of accounting to, uh, you know, a staff accountant or whatever yeah. one of my clients but i can talk all i want about what it is but if they're not connecting with me like what's the language what are the words i need to use to, to allow people to understand and i think a lot of that is like understanding your audience and, under, and understanding wow. what their academic or professional background might mm-hmm. be same with coaching what is what is this athlete's skill set what are they working with right and then applying what you're trying to say or what you're trying to teach to to that person mm-hmm. um, so I think connecting is really important and I think the other thing is probably you have to be able and it's really the same thing I think but communication skills are just so important right and no one communicates anymore because all we do is type I know. whether it's a phone or a computer or or anything like that so how, how are you gonna explain things and no one does that anymore you know, I guess I'm really explaining the same thing twice, whether it's um, connecting with a person or communicating. It's all the same. It's how are you reaching your audience and really understanding what you're, who you're dealing with?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like people spend so much time in their discipline. So if you think about your own education of being a finance person, being great at numbers, getting your CPA. Like that's all presumably like individually motivated and and executed. Yeah. <laughs> like you go to your classes, you go to school, you get your you know all the tests whatever. And then the like whole other part that's required in order for you to be able to to meet your goals that you talked about, the part about, you know, now going out on your own even more so, right? Because it's all relationship driven. And, and the fact that what I'm doing, it's like, I just don't think there's enough umph around the other side of this. And maybe you inherently have some of those skills or you were taught those skills or someone at some point said to you, this is how you round out, you know, the sports too is, an, I think sports <laughs> yeah. is another way. Like you yeah. you have to learn how to communicate with each other in sports. You have to be able right. to write in terms of like that common mission to succeed.
1: Yeah. Um, another thing we talk about, um, and again, this is like one of those life lessons, but um, you know, body language is such a, and it's, whether it's you or I talking (laughs) together now or body language, sometimes that's the only words we yell out in a baseball game is body language. Like that you look like you've already struck out, Yes. right? Or I'm talking to you and you look like you're not at all interested in what I'm about to say. So body language is huge and you can... Tell within seconds based on a person's body language if they if they get what you're saying or if they have no interest in what you're saying or what it is
0: and I think the other thing that I'm just like you're making me think about this like the the add-on to this is being observant and I feel like particularly with boys I don't you know I have three boys and it's been my mission (laughs) uh in rearing them that they are aware of their surroundings and observant of what's happening. Sure. And I don't know if you know people might freak out with gender norms or stereotypes. I feel like generally women have are more observant. Like I don't know if that's totally true, but it feels more inherent to me that like I'm anticipating, I'm looking around, I'm kind of assessing all the time and anticipating needs. And I don't know that, you know, so The idea of teaching people to be observant and to read the cues, you know, you're talking about like read the body language. If someone looks like they're not getting it effectively when you're trying to connect or lead people, you know, being able to, to do that by both observing and then reacting to that. The other thing that I feel like with you, you know, I haven't seen it in action, but I mean, because we're mostly socially hang out, but... Like you seem like you're very level, patient human.
1: So I think my family would disagree I got, with you. So, it. It'd be three on one, but I appreciate the <laughs> appreciate the positive feedback from you.
0: <laughs> well, tell them, are you are you someone that's pretty even keeled? More uh, is it more so on the like business and coaching side, and maybe not as much at home? Yes. Or like how it is? Yes, yes, and yes. yes, and yes, and yes. Um,
1: I yeah, think I think at, You're at, I think at home uh um, yeah. all, all three of the other members of my house and probably the <laughs> two four-legged ones too would all say <laughs> um, this guy sometimes has unrealistic expectations of everyone in in my own house and that's hard sometimes yeah um, so they they probably will not side with you on that yeah um, but we always work that out Do you have it, but...
0: unrealistic expectations for yourself yeah a lot of times so I is think. that that's Part of that, right? Like yeah, so. I think
1: part of it's just, this is like a self-assessment of Brian sure. now. but let's do it. No, no, I let's not. But uh, I think no. part of it is, yeah, you, yeah. you just, uh, I, my biggest flaw is uh, probably I take on too much at times, mm-hmm. and therefore then it becomes a balance problem, and then it becomes how do you unrealistically accomplish all of these yeah. things, and then you expect other people to be like you, right? And that's, a, that's a, again, another life lesson, yeah. right? Everyone's different, so... Within my house, that's probably one vote. Yeah. Outside of my house, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've you haven't seen me blow up on a baseball field before, but it's definitely happened a number of times. But uh, or any field for that matter. Um, I think that when you're when you're coaching or working, it's the same. Um, and there's so many parallels between both. It's again one of the reasons why yeah. I, I love yeah. using that parallel. But um, your audience is gonna react to how you. Act so mm-hmm. if you're super emotional and kind of losing, losing your stuff. Yeah. Um, in a work environment, then everyone around you is going to be like, "There's something really wrong here." We like, are we out of money? Because Brian's going crazy. On a sports field, same thing. Like, Coach Quella is going crazy here, and therefore, and everyone kind of inherently, you yeah. know, steps back. So it's, uh, you know, there's times for emotion and sure. everything, right? Um. But you, it's, you have to be well-timed with what that is. And again, that's work or play.
0: Do you think too, one of the things that I appreciate about you, and I'm wondering if it's intentional on your part, and if, if it's been a part of how you've been so successful, I feel like you are someone that is always of service. And so, I mean, obviously I experienced that just as a friend, like anytime I've asked you for help, no matter what you've had going on, you're like, yeah, come over. (laughs) I'm sure you had a million other things that you needed to do. Um, I certainly, you know, from the coaching aspect, obviously that's, that's a role that's of service, but like, I'm curious for you if that's an anchor and of which you do a lot of things, or is that, is that intentional? Is that something that that's developed over time? probably something
1: that's developed over time. I think with my clients, they're all, let's say hundred employees or less, some, you know, four or five employees and they need help. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not because they don't know what they're doing, but because they yeah. need a certain specialized yeah. type of help. And that's why I like working with the clients that I have because they're of a certain size where they don't know everything. You know, you work with big companies and there's always someone there that knows everything. Yeah. And if they don't, They're gonna just go get someone who knows everything. With small businesses, that's not how it is. So uh, it's nice to work because you work with these types of people because you really like you work on something and then you see the end product, which is you don't get that in big companies often. Outside of work, it's that's basically the reason why I enjoy being involved with, and I'm sure it's the same reason you do what you do with, with kids. Is like there's no better feeling than to see the light bulb go on for a kid. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that to tops that. you know, the kid might hit a home run or whatever. That's great. But when the light bulb goes on, that's, yeah. that is why we do what we do.
0: Yeah, I think as a, as an elder person now, I think when I can help facilitate some sort of transformation, whatever that is, like if that's in a young adult, if that's in an adult, you know, that's working through a transition or even doing consulting where you actually are taking an organization or helping an organization get from point A to point B you know and so on like that change effect Mm -hmm. yeah and feeling like personal fulfillment with that and it's so interesting that you and I so if people are listening that are sort of at that crossroads of like I think I want to do something else with my career but I don't know what I want to do and I'm thought about going out on my own but I you know I've been a part of something bigger you know I was very nervous because I had been part of such big institutions where there was so much infrastructure around me. I had big teams, you know, it wasn't to go out on my own with to your point around doing business development, actually doing the heavy lifting and mm-hmm. like executing the delivery and being a little nervous about that. Like, can I still do this? It's been a long time since I was the one doing it. But then the flip side is the feeling that you get by being engaged and helping them grow and scale and figuring out I don't know it's it's yeah. really fulfilling yeah um, I agree and like totally worth it and I love what you said about the side hustle piece which is like and I, we've talked to other people on here about this too like plan appropriately and you know you don't just jump into an abyss without any safety net but creating that side hustle so it grows and then and then you know you've got some security before you Right, yeah, you don't just have to cut the rope. You can hold on
1: the rope a little longer until you have to really let go.
0: Yeah. Okay, so then I think my last question for you is around your own path, right? And when you think about young Brian, (laughs) uh, you know, maybe like, you know, 18 to like 25-year-old Brian, or even just throughout your career to date or your path personally or professionally, what advice would you give him to make the path a little bit easier not necessarily completely divert the path because mm-hmm. everybody it's like you are what you are Right, you know you're like a summation of all those experiences what, what counsel would you have that we could maybe lessen the load a little bit
1: I think and Julie did the same thing as I did no I'll, I'll explain yeah. one second yeah. it's, it's you have to like follow your passion what's your passion because every that's going to lead you down the right road Julie was an IT consultant for Five or six years maybe even more i don't remember and then she just decided i don't want to do this anymore i want to be a teacher and so that was a huge change for her she Mm -hmm. had to go back to school um you know get the various degrees and certifications and and then that's what she went and did she just she just said you know I, i don't want to do this anymore it's not about money it's about my passion is to help kids and my path was a little similar, although I think I took my cue from her, which was, do I want to go this corporate ladder route mm-hmm. and not chase money, but inevitably one job is going to lead to another, which is going to lead to another, which will probably correlate with that, but also inversely relate to how much time I'm going to be at home and with kids and that type mm-hmm. of stuff. And so that's when I decided to you know, go work for smaller companies and then work for myself because it allowed the flexibility to follow my passion, which was... Mm-hmm you know my own kids and and other kids and stuff so you're not going to know when you're like Brian at 18 Brian and probably even 25 didn't know what that was but I think eventually as young adults we figure out what it is that really drives us Mm -hmm. and go do that. Because we're only renting space on this planet for a, a period of time, right? So yeah. go do what you want to do.
0: Yeah. I think too, it. given your profession, it's like because you know how money works and you're in it all day long and you see the the income potential, right? That's the other thing of like earning potential and it's right there for the taking. Conversely to everything you just described and knowing when to hit which lever and mm-hmm. how that's going to be fulfilling to you because I think the draw to earn more money yeah. and to get the bigger job and to just keep going it's yeah. like so it's like right there
1: and some people and, at that know, age decide that's their passion yeah and that's yeah. that's great and that yeah. person has figured out what makes them tick and gets up for work you know, what makes them get up right. for work the next day? Yeah. Um, but for other people, that's not the case.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, you could like for you, what's so great about the story, I think it's like it sounds to me like you can have it all. Like you're having your business is thriving and you're having the relationship with your kids and with coaching and the other aspects of your life that are important to you. I and mean, like you found a way to carve all that out
1: balance, I mean, that's another key yeah. word, right? Yeah. In life is balance. Too much of one thing is generally not good. Um, so what's your, maybe that's the other advice, is find out what, what your balance is. But, you know, yeah. a lot of us don't figure that out till you, you have know. other things going on in life where you, ha- you have to balance. Yeah. So balancing is, is also,
0: you know, important. Yeah. You're the best. <laughs> you are? No, this is so great. I'm glad that we got a chance to talk. And I feel like, you know, such a cool story about your own involvement with respect to your own business and loved the stuff about the coaching and sports because I think a lot can relate to that and how it applies. So thank you. Thanks for having me. You're the best. Yeah. Thank you, Brian, for taking the time to share about your valuable experiences and advice around the world of finance and youth coaching. I especially enjoyed your advice around coaching sports and how it's an avenue to help teach the youth lessons for their life and beyond. Thank you for your advice on the importance of communication and being able to speak to the audience you are working with. Know your audience. It's valuable to understand their background and that way you'll know what information can stick also how to follow your passion when you do that it'll lead you down the right road thank you to missy for producing this episode and to hannah for your support a huge thank you to our relatable community for listening if you enjoyed this conversation please take a moment and subscribe either on youtube or your favorite streaming platform relatable is sponsored by tfa soft skills and you can find more information about relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com until next time This is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.